Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Beers Over Beers. My name is Michael Sandoval. I'm Chris Detzel. Uh, so cheers, Chris. Cheers. cheers. All right. So we have with us a guest speaker. Uh, his name is uh, Blake Etheridge. Uh, say hello, Blake. Hey, this is Blake. Man. <laughs> so I, I have to admit, we were. This is probably our cut two because I. Uh, it is our cut two because I accidentally forgot to hit uh, record. But nevertheless, uh, so we're, I'll, I'll kind of I'll introduce Blake a little bit. So I, uh, Blake was me when we were at Texas Instruments, and I have, have to admit he's a quite quite the encyclopedic knowledge of community. And I thought, oh, he would be a great person to have on our show and talk about community overall. And one of the things that we had talked about last episode was how he was able to take some of the the high uh, or the most contributing members of E2E community and highlight them at affinity conferences and events, especially TIDC. Um, and he had this whole program, which I thought was quite innovative. And so I thought he would, we'd spend some time talking through that. And so, um, Blake, I could have you reintroduce yourself or say hello, or we can just kind of walk into that question. Cool. What's my line again? Um, <laughs> we can go that path too. <laughs> it's a great show, by the way. Do you ever watch it? <laughs> Not anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. It's good to have you, me. Blake. It's great to have you. Yeah, it's great Thanks to for be joining. here. Um, I think for me, like a lot of people, what's interesting is like so many find ourselves like in community manager, building community leadership positions by mistake. So a lot of us didn't set off like, I'm going to be a community manager. That's what I'm going to grow up to be. So there's a lot of chaos around this type of role, wherever it sits into an organization, whether a small company or an enterprise. Um, there's still so much work and um, being figured out on metrics, where it fits. You're not going to have a big team necessarily or a big budget, but really the people like us that have been around forever, um, pretty much throw anything at us. We've, we've always found a way to thrive, right? Being able to connect the dots agnostic of all that stuff so it's kind of being a jack of all trades on the community side and so not everything was always a success but our kind of uh, bread and butter was understanding users whether it was b2c or, or, or b2b and really being hands-on with that laser focus for success so i think that's um that sort of line of sight north star for customer success is really kind of how a lot of us have been uh, bonded, right? So that's kind of, for me, just coming up through agency life of, of all these different clients with all different types of stuff, nonprofit life where I started out and then just B2B for, it feels like for forever. Yeah, no, it's great. I, in fact, you bring up some couple of points that we talk about a lot, which is this jack of all trades. Uh, I know we have spent some time, Chris, you and I talk about how it seems like we're quote unquote all alone as a community manager, but you kind of have to be your marketing team, a developer team, uh, uh, a hurrah team, you know, a content, content strategist, strategist all at once. And you yeah. said it too, is because of, you know, until belief comes, you, you, you have small budgets and the like. So, uh, no, I agree. It's, it's, it's nice to have all that as, uh, part of your, uh, as all of us, right. As part of our skill set. Uh, so Blake, tell me, so, um, let's just kind of walk into, you know, how you started the, uh, we'll call it the, um, you know, the, 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 I went so was the developer program or I think, what, what did you call your program officially uh, for most active and most uh, 
uh, yeah, oh, most active members of your community. We're talking about TI, right? Yes, TI, yes. <clears throat> so let's just make sure we're clear. Yeah, oh, good point, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're definitely not talking about Rev1. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so probably, you know, I think the main thing with, with any sort of enterprise company is that you can have like a team of community builders that can build on a castle, which is great. But you've got to have like someone like Michael Sandoval that's a community leader because mm-hmm. a big enterprise, getting a community, like building that castle just to begin with is, is next to impossible, especially like in a big enterprise. There's so much with IT procurement. And I mean, the nightmares and challenges are like, you, I mean, you just don't have an Excel list with enough rows for it. That's kind of what <laughs> And so a community leader like is able to lay that sort of foundation. And without that, it's like the community builders are, are kind of irrelevant. So I think for, for TI, you know, coming there when that castle is built, then it's easy to kind of go in and start to look at it from a community building perspective. And so when we kind of get there that the community had existed pretty much since the late nineties through these like user groups, like Yahoo groups and mm-hmm. cities and other places, but kind of had largely been ignored until they had this platform that Mike built up where now that they could actually start to um, connect with each other. Cause you've got all these like specialty groups, but none of them were talking, talking to each other and trying to find like one Yahoo group from the next, they're all like private. So you're not going to be able to find each other. So now with the platform, we can actually start to um, get a lot of these people migrated over into the community. So we had people like Old Cal Yellow, who's like a key kind of uh, figure in the TI community, even if people didn't realize it. Old Cal actually goes back to the Homebrew Computer Club, which is like Steve Wozniak and pretty much everybody at Apple. So he was like one of the original makers. And so just like having someone like that in kind of early on was was really good um and then kind of like when we started out with the community as as you kind of allude to like in the uh, virtual trade shows and that type of stuff um at a big company a lot of the staff is like i really don't understand the value in talking to customers Hmm. and the heartburn on b2b side is we had one user a bug's worst nightmare um, he, he actually was a big customer out of Munich, where we also had an office. And so if you're going to ignore someone like that, whose company is spending like, I'm guessing they must have been like a category two or three. We're talking like tens and tens of millions of dollars yeah. that you might, you might lose out on that next kind of design and design win. So like taking it, taking it down. And so a lot of the teams would say for the users, well, our strategy was like to actually not talk to them. And so what are we, how are we actually supposed to actually? Yeah, I know. I look at Chris quite, I can't believe this. It kills me. Huh? It just kills me. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of PMs, <laughs> PDs. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But it's, it's kind of a new world order because these communities kind of existed where people couldn't see them. So they didn't understand the value or connect the dots from, from a business perspective. And so they might look at it kind of an analog out, offline way of the traditional salesperson goes into the client, does a 30 minute PowerPoint presentation, hopefully get some more like, you know, renewals, wins, things like that. Did you, did and so, you... so for a lot of them, it's like, well, how do we actually start to, to work with them? They seem um, pretty upset. So just very simple stuff is like, 
So for like a bug source nightmare and, and kind of a, a simple case is that, you know, one, we're missing a program for them. So like every time we have to reach out to the people, um, it's, it's very high touch. And so it's just like every time we're, so we need a program so we can get everything to be low touch so that it's one from a business perspective, second from heart to mind that we're always talking about um, kind of like what we're doing. If we're going to like a, to see Europe in the World Cup, if we're going to a trip in, in Vietnam and these type of things, so that when there is business, it's just a part of the conversation. And so if you've been at other places where people are talking at their community, whether it's on a platform or social, like a megaphone, that it's a really awkward conversation because everybody has this one friend that always needs like a ride somewhere or needs something and they're going to spend like 30 minutes or an hour to get something. So everything becomes very transactional. And from a foundational standpoint, I didn't want the community to be this kind of transactional thing. So, um, you know, it's like, what should we do with these type of users that are highly active? We can't ignore them. So what should we do? And they seem to be very upset. And so the first thing was like, just get them out for coffee, get them out for a beer, take them out to lunch. So, um, you're- so if you don't, if you don't mind me, because I, I, I almost want to almost emphasize what sounds like the clear business case, right? So you have. Um, you brought up a single user that you know was very active and, right. and doing some probably some data work in the background found out that he was part of a very large company that did millions of dollars. And here is a person who is on there very active, answering other people's questions, thinking, wow, that's what a great opportunity to kind of reach out, help him, get him pulled into the brand a bit more. You reach out to the business side to say, what do we do with some of these customers who are definitely high value, right? In the proverbial, they're all important customers, but this is probably a high important customer, right? Um, and they're also active in the community. How do we kind of blend those two worlds together? You were getting some pushback probably maybe through, because they were very still kind of in the digital evolution a little bit further behind. Um, and you said, uh, and you didn't get any you didn't get any um, love, I guess would be the best term, right? So you took it, by, and so now I think we're getting into this, you know, how do we maintain that relationship with that, with that person? There, there's a lot of effort on his side to get the answers he needs through the sales organization, and yet you're caught in between with access to the right people, but you really are not in a good position to help the person, right? How could I accelerate this? What program can I do to help recognize that? Would that be a fair way of kind of acknowledging this weird conundrum? Yeah. And so I, I didn't have the program in place yet just because in big company life and you can talk about how we, how we got there that you've got to have so many people sign off on any idea. And so yeah. if you go down the, the wrong path, they can almost like torpedo you. But I know like, the crazy thing with, with these power users, one of the things that the sales and product teams want to know is like, there's always how we intended for people to use the product. And then there's the actual real world of how people are actually using the product. 100% agree. Yes. Rubber meets the, the customers road. Yeah. And the customers that are highly active in the forums, they can probably tell you the top five issues everybody's having any given week. 100% agree. Yes. I can tell you like what you could do to move the dial to like where everybody's going to be just like, shut up and take my money. <laughs> and so if you like sit down with them for like 
five to 30 minutes, you're coming out of there with, holy crap, this is everything I can do to like penetrate the market faster to, to accelerate, accelerate product adoption. Yep. And also for adding velocity to that 360 feedback loop, because before we like ad hoc, we're like getting like customer feedback from quote unquote site visits. But what a sort of like a giant category one customer would think of versus like a category four mass market really depended on their markets. So that's really hard to read the tea leaves on that versus a community member who's actually talking to people all across the spectrum, all across the world. So I know when I put get the business directly in front of someone like that, that it's just like that instant connection, these universes colliding is going to be amazing experience and they're going to be like highly addicted to it from that point. Yeah, and what I find fascinating is this whole idea of you had access to bottom-up uh, information of how people using the product, how that product was either being successful or unsuccessful in the marketplace. And if regardless of, of its success, if there were updates and changes or things that could be happening, you could feed this intelligence, I'll use that word intelligence, back into the proper individuals, right? However, the company was receiving top-down data, right? So they would go do a site visit and we, and just to give some context, a site visit is more likely senior level engineers on one company, senior level sales guys on another, and they're only getting information through second or third party because it kind of rolls up, if you will. And so one would argue whether or not that's a really good way of getting some information. So um, how do you pull those two together? Right. I mean, it's a fascinating, but like this is exactly the, the fascinating problems that are that the B2B business. I mean, here you have access to bottoms up data. You know, how do you feed that into the business? And I think traditionally B2B companies, they've only relied on top down data. They've never come from a bottom up point. So, I, again, I just want to emphasize uh, that part. So how did you. So you, you hadn't developed the program yet, but you definitely saw the problem and. It sounded as if you were getting into this idea that you were developing some relationships. Would that be a fair comment? Well, you know, I think so. The the other part of like a community manager's job is we're like the concierge desk. So when yeah. we show up at Good point. eight o'clock in the morning, the fires, the, the people we have to deal with aren't exactly always going to be on the agenda. So we show up on any given day and it's like we've got to, you know, execute regardless of whatever is thrown at us. And so that it, you know, since the community is like living and breathing 24 seven, any number of things can, can be going on, especially at the enterprise scale, because the, a lot of people don't realize like on Mike's side is like, we're having to, we're in central roles. And so what that means is we have to integrate and be operational with tens and thousands of employees on a daily basis. And they could have any number of stuff going on. And then you flip the script externally, then we've got hundreds of thousands of customers. So any number of issues that we didn't even plan will come up and we've got to like on a dime start to be able to execute and make decisions because from a community manager, the longer that issue like permeates is it like just pushes it into this emotional state where it's just like there's there's no coming back. And so we're always trying to put out fires before they just get completely um, out of control. And so there's, there's so much of that work that sort of uh, goes on. And so like for the not having the program, I couldn't just be like, well, let's just wait. The traditional way is let's wait until we get a fully baked program in place and then we'll go out and address this. But at the same time, we're leaking so much gold 
because one, you're going to lose somebody that's going to be helping everyone from top customers to mass market. And two, you're also going to be losing, you know, that company's business. But really the value add is like as a community manager is that hub and spoke model that Jeremiah and Charlene and a lot of people would always talk about is that, you know, getting all the businesses connected with the most passionate customers that they cared about. So for me, connecting them back with somebody that, you know, read the tea leaves of their product and knew the marketing strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and could really help to accelerate their business was really that kind of win-win. So when they got FaceTime with this user, I mean, it completely flipped the script. Of course, they were pretty hot. And so for just, as I said, just, you know, kind of right out the storm, but I guarantee you, you've kind of got like a business partner for, you know, for as long as you kind of want to do it, but I still needed to race to, um, they still needed to do a lot of stuff to be able to get the program into place. And then if you throw like on the other side of the fence, so we had like old cow yellow who, who's just, his value is just sharing knowledge, right? So there's nothing else that you ever need to give anyone like that. Just serve them up the platform. I want to share and help the next generation. So within developers and B2B, you get a lot of people that are like mentors. So they're coming there for, they've got a skill or a trade or knowledge. They know how to use a product, which you're not going to technically usually find in like technical documentation and collateral, things like that. Just because in B2B, you just can't cover every single scenario of how a customer is going to use a, a product. It's like Rubik's cubes times like a zillion, right? Um, and so for him, just having a platform, he could just do whatever he wants. So it's just stay out of the way and make sure that if he needed something, you, you got it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we had like Jens Michael Gross, who became like the, the first really like power user, somebody that's like helping out with like thousands of, of threads a year to the point you're like, how can this be just like one person? And, and really the heartburn there, because I still didn't have the program in place was the first thing that the business did on the MSP side is they gave him a lifetime coupon for the TI store. So this is the first, <laughs> the first thing they give them. So it's like, if you're like at Amazon, it would be, get, it'd be like getting a code as an engineer that you could literally buy anything. And so that was like kind of a run. That's running. pretty cool. <laughs> that's nice. Except that's the first thing. So it's like a yeah. kind of a yeah, There's no buildup, right? It was like, you get everything. That's it. <laughs> but, so now it's like, this is not to like, you know, still not to knock the, the, the team and stuff, but it's like, well, what's next, right? Yeah. So if you're like, because I see him as like someone that's probably going to help out like 4X, 5X where we are now. So it's like, mm-hmm. So we kind of have to like start to figure out ways to um, course correct there just to kind of make it a little bit realistic. So Michael had built up the reward and recognition program, but kind of like the heartburn in the enterprise companies is that you've got, A, we've got like a TI, four different marketing groups. Um, You could really debate whether they all talk to each other. (laughs) Um, Secondly, You've got all these teams (laughs) trying to do like their own programs. And so even though there's a universal reward and recognition, you've got all these different teams, tens of thousand employees kind of doing their own thing. So we're kind of having to um, really kind of help them out, teach them how to fish without trying to fish for them every day and not really to slap their hand because if we, 
you slap the hands of internal champions and people you want to grow from a positive standpoint, it, it becomes tough. So from that perspective for, for Jens, it's like, this is great, but we kind of need to kind of like reverse course and, and things like that. But we really need to think about like getting a program um, for our super users, because again, for me, it's like, it's a race to be low touch. Mm. And so when I looked at some of the other companies or usually my experiences with a lot of community managers is I talk to my community members once a year and I give them like a $20 t-shirt. And then when I talk to a lot of engineers and highly technical audiences, you know, a lot of them will say, wait a minute. So if I do 2000 posts a year, I'm worth like $20 and you only talk to me like once a year. And so it's like, you know, just imagine if Michael calls you up like once a year, it's like, Hey, let's go out, hang out. I'm in your neighborhood. You're like, Mike, what? <laughs> and so it's just a little bit of a, a weird experience. So with the super user programs, when I want to set it up, it's, it's really for aligning with like our hero buckets of hero product pillars and hero personas. And it's kind of meeting a criteria that they're kind of like being able to move the dial. So it's around the products that really can accelerate, that are really conducive to having a community around them to drive product adoption. It's the products we really care about. Um, and then it's the users and those audiences that we really care about. So for TI, right, we're not building a super user community for, for, for calculators. We're not doing stuff for like OMAP, these type of uh, technologies, because they just, they're not like going to move the dial. So very strategically, if we can add velocity where we have the most room to grow and dominate in a market with the customers that are touching the most amount of other customers and really kind of can accelerate product feedback, product issues. And so I also looked at it from filling it in with extroverted people. So you <laughs> see a lot of people that sort of like mess up and get all these like introverts and they're like, gee, when everybody comes on to this conference, this event, webinar, like nobody's saying anything. It's like, well, you can't just have like, um, introverts. And then also from a support perspective, looking at it from time zone. So it was like, I wanted to make sure that we had an equal like 30% split between North America, Europe, and Asia. And so you're going down all these like strategic like points so that you have this like program that if an issue pops up and any of the heroes stop, whether it's like on uh, Dave Jones site, I forget it's the one in Australia. Um, or whatever reason name escapes me, mm. like what's the latency from an issue popping up there and you being able to respond to it? So if I've got somebody that's a community member in Australia or Taiwan, by the time the North American teams are like online, they've already relayed that issue to the team. So the second they open their inbox, our like super users are saying, hey, this is your issues for the day. These are the threads that you need to look at or hey, this is like some product feedback. So they're also gonna be adding like that, this amazing 360 back to the whole product roadmap, whether teams realize it or not, because they're a constant nurture stream to what, we're, what they're doing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peers Over Beers. Please listen to episode 13 for the rest of this conversation.